So as we uh, check out our scriptures this morning, again, this is the third Sunday of Ordinary Time. And in this first reading, this is from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Um, Isaiah was in the 800 B.C. era. So the, the 800 B.C. period of time. And he's mentioned in these two cities, and we also hear him mentioned in our gospel, of the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. It's important to understand at that time, it's speaking of these two places, these two cities, this region, um, as a place of um, great distress, um, uh, just a broken, um, very much oppressed, um, degraded area of this region. And the reason is, is because there were Syrian crusaders that came in and basically plundered the whole area and took all the people and just sent them off to be slaves in this way and that way. So at the end of that reading, you talk, you hear the idea of rot of their taskmasters. So this, this area is very much a, a, a challenging place. It's a place where, again, there's not much life happening. And so <clears throat> to listen to that scripture, to kind of put yourself in their feet, in their shoes, and to kind of see... This is Isaiah prophesying to these people. So to really hear that message, you have to be able to relate or identify with those people in that time. And I think we could all identify in different ways our own area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Like, what is your Zebulun and Naphtali? What's that area in your life you feel shame, degraded, broken, weak, poor, addicted, or do you feel powerless? Or do you feel like you can't move forward? Or do you feel like you just are stuck? Because that's your Zebulun, that's your Naphtali. But you got to take the time to identify that area in our heart and in our lives. Maybe it's in your marriage, your family, your workplace, your health. Uh, maybe it's an emotional struggle, an anxiety that you have, uh, a depression. Or do you feel that degrading, that, that, that oppression, that heaviness? In your life right now. It's very important to identify that. And not to run from it. When we run from our problems. They only get worse. But we can't solve our problems. So you might ask. Well father if I can't solve them. Why wouldn't I run? Why wouldn't I seek some sort of. You know help in this way or that way. And often what we do is. Our Zebulun and Naphtali is our Calvary. That's our cross. That's that area of heaviness. Um, where we feel stuck like Jesus, pinned up on that cross. We don't feel like there's a way out. And when we don't have a way out, we often panic. And we all have our own ways of panicking. We all have our own ways of running from or seeking false saviors. Not Jesus, but we find the refrigerator or we find um, a, a, a shopping spree or we go, you know, and uh, look for comfort in Ways that aren't going to really solve it. We cope with it. We take our Advil, if you will. We take our little drug of choice, whatever that be for y'all. So like we, we have this situation happening and Isaiah is prophesying into this darkness. Now I'd like you to think of the Bible in general. Just in general. Think of this. Adam and Eve. They failed. They messed up. And God made a promise that through the seed of the woman, he would crush the head of the serpent. 
So God's making a promise at a point of failure. Think of Abraham and Sarah. They're old in their age. They're up there in years. And Sarah's barren. And in that day, you know, to be barren, to be not able to have a child, it was kind of looked down, you were degraded. You weren't looked at as something's wrong with you, basically. It wasn't seen like we see it as much today. So they, they saw a prodigy, you know, they're having children is a very important part. So Abraham and Sarah felt like outcasts. <coughs> God chose a couple that couldn't have kids and made a promise that you're going to have a son, Isaac. <coughs> Think about that. So you got Adam and Eve failed. God made a promise to crush that devil's head through the seed of the woman. Then God has Abraham and Sarah, whom are barren, and he gives Isaac to them at a very old, older age. Isaac becomes a line of from which Jesus will eventually be born into. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and think of Joseph. Joseph was taken by his brothers because he was a dreamer. You know, you all know the story, dream, the Joseph and his dreamer, he was his worst coat. He was kind of like, God's going to make me amazing. God's going to make me this leader. God's, and his brothers are like, yeah, whatever. They grabbed him and threw him and took him out and sold him off and threw him in a ditch. And he was sold off into slavery into Egypt. And what happened to Joseph? He became an amazing leader in Egypt. He was raised up by God. Someone who was just thrown out, taken into slavery. He was raised up by God. And he saved so many people during a famine in Egypt. Now think of Moses. Moses said, God, I don't know how to even speak to people. And God chooses Moses to be this leader that leads his people Israel from bondage in Egypt into the promised land. Moses don't know how to speak. And he's choosing him to lead. You see what God's doing. He's not necessarily looking for those who are qualified. He's looking for those who are weak enough to let him be their Lord and Savior. Are you weak enough to be Christian? See, the world gives the message, are you strong? Are you powerful? Can you do it? But Jesus is saying, like I heard someone once say, are you weak enough to be a priest? Because see, someone that knows who they are, they're not afraid of their failure, their weakness, their brokenness. We're not afraid to embrace ourselves as we truly are. This is God's house, a hospital for sinners, as I said at the beginning of Mass. You're all welcome here as broken people like myself. So we have Moses. Now think of David. David's the youngest in the family. He's playing his music out in the fields with the sheep. Who would ever think David? You know, he was the last one that they brought before Samuel to think to be God's anointed one. David became a great king. He was the last of their choice. And look what God did with David. So God takes our Zebulun, our Naphtali. What is your Zebulun? What is your Naphtali? What is that area in your lives, family, friends, worship, uh, prayer life? Where do you feel that oppression and heaviness, that stuck, that weakness, that brokenness? That addiction, where do you feel powerless? That's your Zebulun, that's your Naphtali. And, and God's calling you all. He's calling me, he's calling us all personally by name. He doesn't say, I call you as a group. He says, I call you by name. Joseph, come and follow me. Yeah, Lord, but you know, 
if you really saw my life and you really knew what was going on in my life, you would want to have, you know, uh, George follow you. George goes to church every day. George got this together. George has got more together than I do, Jesus. You don't want me. Jesus chose Peter, James, and John. In our gospel today, we heard he chose these apostles who were simple fishermen. If you were the king of the universe coming into a world, would you choose fishermen to be your, like, surround yourselves with a few fishermen? I would be looking for, like, people that I thought, well, this person really can do it. Look, they're successful in the world. They're successful. They're successful. But Jesus isn't doing that. He's looking for people that are weak enough, that are willing enough to let him be their leader, their Lord, their Savior. If I don't need saved, I can't help save others. If I'm not in touch with my weakness and brokenness, I'm not going to be able to love and embrace you and your brokenness and weakness. So how I let God love me is how I'm going to love you. If I only let God love me where I got it together, I'm going to only love you where you got it together. But if I let God into my brokenness and weakness, I'm going to be comfortable with your brokenness and weakness. So as you as a spouse, for example, let God love you, you're going to be able to love your spouse to that degree. You can't give what we always say, right, what you don't have. So we must let God in to our Zebulun, our Naphtali. We must let God into our lives. Don't, don't empty the cross of its power. We heard that in our second reading. Listen, it says here, second reading today. It says, Paul, this is in Corinthians. He's talking to the Christian community. So he's talking to them and he's saying, Christ didn't send me to just basically speak with human eloquence. This isn't about human eloquence. See, the Greeks were all about, you know, sitting together and reflecting with philosophy, philosophical ideas. Wow, that person can really speak well. That person really has some good ideas. Paul's like, hey, I'm not here to tickle your ears. I'm not here to just like sound like a good speaker. I'm here to demonstrate in power what God did with someone like me. God took a man who was out killing the Christians, putting him in jail, taking him in chains and dragging him back. And he knocked me off my proud horse. And he basically said, I want you to be a messenger to the Gentiles, to all the peoples. Why would you as God choose Paul? I mean, yeah, he's a smart guy, but I mean, he's killing your people. You see how God works? He don't work like we work. The Bible says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. God's ways sometimes confound the wise of the world, perplex the wise of the world. So if you feel like you're not qualified, then you have the right attitude. You aren't. Neither am I. God don't call the qualified, right? He equips those he calls. God don't call the qualified. He equips those he calls. And he's calling every one of you in the church. And guess what he wants most? Your weakness, your brokenness, that area of your life where you think you're a failure, where you think you can't go forward. That's where you're going to see a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. How many people that have been through AA and have really seen and testified to, it's that hitting the bottom where you start to have an experience of your higher power, namely Jesus our Lord. 
It's when you realize you can't do it that you're ready to let God do it. And so when you're feeling like you're up against the wall and there's nowhere to go, don't panic. Don't pull eject. Don't run. But turn and fall to your knees to Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. And that's why I always encourage you, as you're driving by the church during the week, stop in this chapel. It's open all day long, all night long. There's a code to get in. 6417. The magic code, right? Driving by the church 10 at night, and you want to come in here and pray. You go to that side door, 6417. You come in, you sit in here, and you enjoy the presence of Jesus. As you are. Not as you should be, not as you want to be, but as you are. Raw, broken, weak, <coughs> poor, stuck, down. And what's going to happen is when you come to the Lord, when you come to Jesus in that state of acceptance, that I can't, but you can, that's faith. Then you'll experience him with you, suffering it through you. And you'll experience a resurrection, a new life, an encounter, hope. Listen, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In the whole Bible, light comes from the darkness. Why was God born in a stable? That first reading is actually used at Christmas. Why was God born in a stable, a stinky stable? He don't think like we think. He's different, which is what the word holiness means, to stand out. To be different, to be other than. As church, we're called to stand out in the world. We're called to be a people that aren't afraid of our weaknesses. And you ever been with somebody, I'm sure you've all had this experience. Have you ever been with someone you felt really comfortable around? You know why you feel comfortable around them? They've learned how to love themselves. And therefore, you feel comfortable because they're able to love you when you're broken. That's how it is when you're with Jesus. You don't have to worry about God being uncomfortable with you. He's more comfortable with you than you'll ever be with yourself. He has no problem with anybody here. We have the problem with ourselves. And if we would let God's love break through that, we would start to experience new life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Fullness of life in Christ. So I want you to identify where is it at that you need to surrender and embrace. Is God calling you? Yes. What's he most attracted about in each of us? The area that you're most unattracted with about yourself is where God's most attracted to you. Can you let that happen to you? Can you let that truth sink in or are you just going to keep holding on to I don't like that part of me. Well, guess what? That's what he most likes about you. He most likes about you what you might not like about yourself. Where you're most weak and broken is where you're most capable of being saved. You don't, if you don't need a Savior, Christianity doesn't make any sense. If you don't need a Savior, Christianity doesn't make any sense. But if we run from what we need saved from all the time, then we don't ever have the encounter with Jesus that we need. So, as it says, listen, one thing I ask of the Lord, 
This I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze on the <coughs> loveliness of the Lord and contemplate his temple. Where's God's temple? Right here. He's inside of us. Can you contemplate God within you right now? Can you contemplate God within you right now? And not just see all the things that you need to fix up inside of you. Because that's his job. That's not my job. His job is to come inside of me and do the work that he came to do. See, we spend our life as Christians trying to get it together. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, God, come into my life so you can do what I can't do. You see how frustrating it would be to be a Christian if you think you got to get it all together? You come as you are, and Christ takes you as you are, calls you as you are, and does what he alone can do, which is transform us into the men and women, the sons and daughters that we're called to be. So don't be discouraged. Now, if you take the model of the world, yeah, you got to get yourself together. You got to fix it up. You got to get it going. You're not in the place you need to be. You need to work on yourself. You need to basically save yourself, heal yourself, fix yourself. That's not Christianity, not at all. We're here to let Christ be Lord and Savior. See, when you start to surrender to this truth that God alone is Savior, you sit in these pews and you're here to basically surrender. You're not here to get it together. You're here to surrender. And God will do what only, again, God can do. But if you come into the pews and you have this idea that God's way over there and I'm way over here, I have so many things going on, I don't have it together and I probably never will, then you're going to be always feeling alone. Like you have to do this on your own. And so please, the good news is you don't get your life together to get close to God. You get close to God, and he'll put your life together. Don't get your life together to get close to God. Don't get your life together to get close to God. You get close to God, and he'll put your life together. That's Christianity. Imagine trying to tell a little kid to tie their shoes that can't tie their shoes. Tie your shoe. What's wrong with you? Tie your shoe. Little kid's like, I don't know how to tie my shoe. And they start crying because they don't know what to do. We're the same way. When you tell yourself, fix yourself, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? Why can't you? What's wrong with you? You know what you're doing? You're beating yourself up. It's called self-hatred, self-rejection. Because you don't know that this is why he came to do what you can't do. He came to tie your shoe. He came to do for you what you and I can't do for ourselves. And that's why the word Eucharist means thank you. Thank you, God. It's so, so, isn't it so good and stress relieving to say, I don't have to do that? Ah, oh, I lived for the last 30, 40 years, thought I had to do this myself. Man, that is a relief. Thank you. This is what Christianity is. I'm free. I'm free. The chains are broken. I can be loved as I am, and God will do in me what he can do. So let's think about this as we go through this week. And by the way, we just um, got a link on our website. We're recording, Father Mark and I are recording all our homilies. So if you're during the week and you want to kind of re-listen or kind of keep feeding your soul and thinking about 
go to the website, go to the links, teaching and homilies, pop it up on your phone, play, listen, and think about it. Play 15 minutes, play five minutes as lunchtime, and then think about it, pray about it, take it into deeper prayer. You can listen, share, reflect, grow together. So as we continue Mass, let's think about this. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be free, to be saved, to be able to live our lives in Christ's loving gaze?